Do you think that owls are monogamous? No. You know why I don't think they're monogamous? Why? Because then when they get a new phone, they go, who this? <laughs> wow. New phone. Who this? I, I think we should end the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs>
uh, started called the American Football League or the AFL. Okay. And then there was sort of a rivalry amongst them for around a decade, and teams were sort of stealing players from each other for money and blah, 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 blah. There's a whole lot of detail to this I'm skipping, but that's the gist of it. Then there was a deal signed in the mid-60s that uh, both of the leagues would merge into just one league in 1970, but that they would play a kind of league-on-league championship tournament up until in the years leading up to that merger. Okay, that makes more sense, because I know I've seen the AFL yeah. and the NFL. I'm like, aren't they the same Exactly, thing? and I didn't know that either, so that, that was kind of interesting to hear. So the first, um, this would eventually be called the Super Bowl, but the first three games were actually called the AFL-NFL World Championship Game. <laughs> you can see why they changed the title. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, the name Super Bowl came in 1965 when the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs uh, named Lamar Hunt, uh, he saw his kids playing with what was called a Super Ball um, in their <laughs> front yard, which is like one of those rubber balls made by Whammo, like the bouncy balls. Uh-huh. And uh, he thought that was a cool name, and he suggested Super Bowl, and that's what it was. Wow. Um, so then I started looking up, you know, I don't follow sports that much. I mean, I like to play them with friends and all that, but mm-hmm. professional sports, I don't follow. I don't care. But I started <laughs> going down a rabbit hole of, like, what does the actual season structure look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it starts off with the uh, 16 regular games that, teams have to play and then after that it gets to this ridiculous complicated boring ass system of basically (laughs) playoffs and divisions and wild card rounds and blah 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 i'm not even going to bother you with it but let's just suffice it to say the way that teams get to the super bowl is basically some sort of magic algorithmic formula of chaos (laughs) i was reading it and i read this article like four times that explained how they did this and i was Uh like why does anybody care about this this is so complicated is it as complicated as cryptocurrency uh yeah probably wow yeah so anyways um so it just kind of drove me to think about um you know we all kind of know that super bowl is the biggest thing in tv in the u.s but Mm -hmm. i wanted to kind of look into like just how big is it and so the first thing that stuck out was the difference in just ticket prices to attend the event itself uh tickets for the original super bowl did not even sell out in uh was that in 1960s something 1967 yeah. or so didn't actually sell out they were between six and twelve dollars wow and now they are thousands of dollars and they get sold second third fourth hand that's crazy and all that so yeah so you know it kind of became you know i started digging into like why why is this a big thing like why is this like the biggest thing in tv mm-hmm. and uh so it kind of drove me to the question of like it's for the ads, right? Well, it's for the ads is the simple answer. But then I, I was sort of like interested more in like, why football? Like, why is football the biggest thing? Because as I, let me, let me get to it, I guess, is like, so I started looking up the stats for this, right? Okay. So it's, it, the Super Bowl holds the record for the uh, most watched TV event in the U.S., consecutively right? or? Pretty much. It holds the world record for like a single event, but also, uh, okay, so for example, in 2015 was the highest rated one, and it was 114.4 million people watching the Super Bowl in 2015. Wow. Um, versus last year in 2017, it was around 111 million people. So a drop in the bucket or a, a dip in viewership, but still huge. Um, but I looked up the stats on this, and it holds 19 out of the top 20 most watched TV events in history for the U.S., the Super Bowl. Holy crap. Only one thing... Uh, 
on that list is not the Super Bowl, which was the uh, series finale for MASH in 1983. And that's number nine on the list. What? Yeah. What? So of, of the most watched things in U.S. television history, the Super Bowl is all of the top 20 except for the number nine slot, which was MASH finale. What was the number one? Did you see that? Number one is Super Bowl. Oh, duh. Yeah. <laughs> all of them are Super Bowl except for MASH. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Um, however, um, it does not hold a world record for global TV viewing. Um, so this is where it gets a little sketchy. The, the number one thing I could verify as far as uh, sort of like verified with things like Nielsen that we have here in the U.S. and stuff like that mm-hmm. was the moon landing. July 20th, 1969, 530 million people around the world watched this. And what's remarkable for that about that is, A of all, is 1969. So way fewer televisions mm-hmm. but b of all uh that's a global event and that means half of the world was asleep or should have been asleep at that time and if you think about the climate of the world during 1969 there's a lot of communist countries socialist countries so didn't even have tvs so how did they watch it well that's that's what i mean that is remarkable if you think about all those factors taken into account and still 530 million people watched the moon landing live Huh. No DVRs, no nothing like that back then. <laughs> T- antennas only. So that's pretty remarkable. So um, then there's some stats started coming up, and there were I couldn't find uh, anything direct from like Nielsen around this. So take these ones with a grain of salt. But um, when you start thinking about like global viewership, the um, sports industry is still the the killer in this. So in 2014, the FIFA uh, Championship game, 913 million viewers globally on wow. one game. And more than 1 billion viewers for the 2015 Cricket World Cup. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you think about it, I mean, it's just, it's all a numbers game, right? Like mm-hmm. you hear cricket and you're like, oh, that's odd. Isn't that like a, a British thing? Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's it's Indian, mm-hmm. it's Pakistani. So there's like billions of people in those countries. And if everybody's really interested in that sport and watches TV, just like the U.S. does with football, that's how you get those numbers up there. Hmm. Um. And then just some of the other interesting things, too. Um, in 2017, um, the NFL, uh, so football, basically counted for seven of the ten top most watched TV events in the U.S. Uh, the only things that were uh, not football in the top ten events uh, for 2017 were Trump's congressional address, Trump's inauguration, and the Academy Awards. Huh. Everything else was football, football, football. Um, and then So Sunday, they basically, like own the yeah they own the airwaves the airwaves yeah. and then the nbc sunday night football has been the highest rated tv program basically since the 2013 season wow. so the only thing that kind of if, if i looked back over the last 20 years or so the only thing that has held a a good record of viewership like this has been american idol which has now fallen off and all that but but it's coming back but on a different back? network it's coming back on abc yeah yeah so it's just really interesting to me that uh, football is such a sensation so it's kind of it kind of started me to drive like why are sports such a big thing and um, I started looking this up and it in the sports market in the U.S. alone is estimated to be a seventy three billion dollar market in twenty nineteen so it's like why are sports such a big thing for us in when in twenty nineteen so next year so by next year they expect it to be seventy three billion dollar market only in the United States wow so it's just like you know. I enjoy playing sports with friends and stuff like that, but I don't watch them on TV that often. I'll watch hockey once in a while and stuff like that. And I watch the Olympics, I guess. Mm-hmm. But why are these such a thing? And so I kind of looked up some quick things on this. And 
Um, it turns out there's not a ton of um, a, there's not a whole ton of study or science specifically around this. There's things around why do people why do people become fans of things, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, but not specifically around sports. But there's general ideas um, in the world of like uh, study and psychology around mm-hmm. why, and some of them are, you know identifying with a sports team or club um, gives you like just a sense of identity or, mm-hmm. or commonality between your peers. Like I'm a fan of X team exactly. and my friends are or my family. Exactly. They're from our town. Yeah. And so we're rooting for them and that's our team. Bingo. It, it lets you fit in. Um, the other appealing thing is that sports are commonly sort of understood. So it's a kind of thing that is relatable to regardless of your, your age, your race, your orientation, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you like a team, it doesn't really matter if the person you're talking to is old or young. You both like that team. Gotcha. For example, um, and then there's this uh, this guy, Doctor Mark Robert uh, Banishik, um, and so he has this theory that sports appeals to humans because um, because sports have a clear set of rules that everybody can kind of understand. Mm-hmm. That we all like the idea of competition. Uh, specifically mm-hmm. within a set of guidelines that everybody can agree on. Okay. So humans in general just really like competition. But yeah, we do. When it's wrapped inside a when it's wrapped inside a forum of very specific rules that are common to everybody, it uh-huh. makes that competition even and fairly fair and understood by everybody. So, just as like a social science, humans enjoy that kind of a thing. Hmm. And then there's been some other stuff looking into about why people um, like really get into things. And so there's apparently your brain has these things called mirror neutrons, which I thought were really interesting. Mirror um, neutrons? Mirror neutrons. Huh. And these are a part of your brain that allows you to put yourself into the shoes of, of people doing something. So, for example, an athlete in a game. It allows us to put ourselves into the shoes of a football player on the field and like feel like you're part of that. Whoa. Yeah, it's interesting. The other part, too, was that... Um, Apparently, the human brain uh, often has a hard time distinguishing uh, between achievements that are our own versus a group that we're close to. Really? So this is often Mm -hmm. why you hear people say uh, when they're talking about their sports team. So if you're talking about uh, the 49ers, you know, a lot of people that are here from the Bay Area might not say, oh, they went to the Super Bowl. It's, oh, we went to the Super Bowl. Yes. You know, you feel that connection to them. and It's like a, a... you're a part of that group. Yes. Because the human brain sometimes has a hard time even making a disconnection like that when you're when you're close to somebody. Same kind of thing if if you're describing something on a team at work or your family unit. Your brain often has a hard time distinguishing the difference between yourself and some a group that you're close to. Weirdo brain. Yeah. Um, and then also your hormones just go crazy when you're watching competition. Um, things like testosterone, adrenaline, cortisol, oxytocin, all this stuff comes out when you're watching anything competitive. So it could be sports, it could be a presidential election, anything with competition, your brain just naturally starts firing with different hormones. And of course, your body gets more interested and more excited about it. Like esports. Yeah. Um, and then the whole, the, there's sort of this different. Um, aspect of of study around kind of sports uh why it's such a big thing particularly in the u.s and that's because we sort of shape our culture around it even from a young age it's estimated um i read this article from the washington post that around 40 percent of u.s children will play a team sport on a regular basis Hmm. which i mean in some ways is surprising but in other ways not really i mean think about like all the movies when you're a kid a lot of them have to do with sports or have an aspect of sport in the game Mm -hmm. Did you ever play uh, football when you were growing up? No. I mean, I played it in 
like PE and stuff, but I'm not like in a team. No, no. And it was for me, it was mostly, I didn't want my weekends taken away. (laughs) I was a computer nerd and I really liked my weekends on my computer and Uh, playing with friends and uh watching movies. And I didn't want that taken away. Yeah. My mom tried to put me in football. Yeah. I don't remember like what, uh, like category or league or whatever it was, but, uh, yeah. Oh, we were the sharks. Oh, that's cool. But uh, now now we live in San Jose where we have the sharks hockey team. Yeah. But I, didn't want to do it yeah i was i don't know if i was lazy or i just wasn't happy with it or whatever but i was like i kept getting um there were a bunch of stickers the little stickers on the ground Mm. that when you know sticks to everything you get the little thorny things yeah and i remember like my hand would go to the ground and i'd get a bunch of stickers and i'm like i don't like this why do i want to do this (laughs) i told my mom i didn't want to do it it was like this big old deal i was super young but yeah that's funny funny. i did not end up playing football (laughs) clearly (laughs) All my other cousins did, but yeah. uh, I did not. <laughs> no. My brother played football oh. in high school. How was yeah. he? Uh, Fine, I guess. I don't really remember. I was already in college at that point. Oh. Yeah. But that's actually kind of the next point here was that um, there's a theory that a lot of sports become like ingrained in our culture because in our high school, uh, in our like sort of public high school system, a lot of uh, events for the high school community are around sports. Mm-hmm. You've got homecoming and pep rallies and, you know, of course, games and this and that. So a lot of our social lives in high school are sort of automatically set up for us around sport. Oh, yeah. Back in Texas, it was huge. Well, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and, man. And, yeah. Varsity Blues, Friday Night Lights. Yep. Like, this is part of our pop culture, too, around high school football. Um, and then, of course, it continues on into college where it where it's like the huge money game for players continues and i was reading an article that um they were doing the math and research on this and it it says some universities are spending over a hundred thousand dollars a year on their athletes like not education wise just spending their money on their athletic careers in college wow which is more than they actually spend on their education Hmm. so it's kind of crazy america yeah so of course all this leads into that the super bowl is big money so you know it's the the basic idea is that uh, because of all this huge viewership that we have on this single event that we just talked about, that's mm-hmm. ad dollars because your eyeballs are on the TV screens when advertisers can put their product on TV. So um, the first thing I was interested in was like, you know, the Super Bowl tends to jump from network to network. And I was kind of like, well, why is that? That's interesting. Money. Well, yeah. But I was like, what I was interested in is like, how do the networks actually win that? you know, program for yeah. the year. How do they do it? So it turns out that uh, back in 2011, they signed a contract, a nine-year contract. So this is between CBS, NBC, and Fox. And that for those next nine years, each one would, it would just rotate between the three networks. So each network would get three Super Bowls over the course of the contract. Wow. Uh, ABC didn't participate because they sold off their participation to ESPN, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Okay. Um, <laughs> so each of these networks... Pockets all the ad money, right? And a single Super Bowl brings in upwards of two hundred and fifty million dollars in ad revenue. Wait, wait, wait. So the networks get get all the money, not the NFL? Correct. What? Yes. Wow. Because the NFL gets all their money for everything else. They get advertising on the field and blah blah blah. Yeah. But when it's on the airwaves, that money goes to these networks. ABC, CB or excuse me, NBC, CBS, and Fox. And that's around upwards of $250 million just for the ad fee. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> this year, uh, ads were running between $5 million and $5.5 million for a 30-second spot. Oh, so just a little bit. Just a little bit of money. 
Um, and then on top of that, advertisers are spending anywhere from $1 to $10 million just to get the ad on TV. So aside from paying a network saying, I want to put my ad on TV, when we talk about hiring an actor or an endorser and the production fees, licensing fees, all that stuff, they're mm -hmm. spending between $1 and $10 million to make one commercial. Wow. It is did crazy. You, did you get any feedback about, or uh, not feedback, but did you do any research or find anything about like how that actually comes back to them? Like, I, the did. I did. I did. So along that question, line of questioning, um, researchers at Stanford actually looked into this on like, do Super Bowl ads really work? And the answer is sometimes. <laughs> so for certain brands, um, certain brands have really built up like a relationship with their consumers over the Super Bowl. So in particular, Budweiser. You will notice Budweiser is an advertiser every year at the Super Bowl and has been for a long time. Mm -hmm. They have built a relationship and they track this and their profits or their revenue for Budweiser right after the Super Bowl goes up around 16%, at least for a short period of time. Wow. However, um, when there are bigger brands that compete directly, like Pepsi and Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. neither of them really gain any money from it. So they, <laughs> they basically just sort of break even or sometimes don't even make all the money back. Wow. The difference is that they are building, that sort of continuing to build that relationship. So mm -hmm. even though they might not see a sales spike directly after, it's sort of like, you know, they're putting that ad in your brain for the year and... You know, hopefully you'll remember that ad throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. But the big thing for some of these things, for some of these companies where they're competing like a Pepsi and a Coke is the theory is if they stopped advertising during the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. that would open up the market for a new soda company to come in. And if that new soda company made a hit commercial while Pepsi and Coke didn't have their ad on the air, then, you know... They could get all those ad eyeball eyeballs on their ads, and then their sales would spike, and then possibly drive down sales of Pepsi or Coke. That's sort of the theory. About so that's it. the game that they play. Yeah, and this study kind of pointed to the Apple ad, the 1984 ad, mm -hmm. where they introduced the Macintosh back in 1984, and that was like this huge ad. Apple had been kind of having some trouble uh, in the that market, like of a, course, famously. A big turning point, yes, right? Exactly, yeah. huge turning point, huge success for them. So they kind of point to that example where you know if there's room for a newcomer to come in the market with this advertising, it can definitely work for them. So it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like uh, going viral before that was kind of a thing, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing too is now um, you know sites like YouTube really give ads even longer longevity because it's ads are. I guess there's some studies that are saying like around 17% of people watch the Super Bowl just for the commercials. They don't care about the football at all. Well, I know that uh, I've seen like ads before there, even on the Super well, Bowl. Well, exactly. Like, and, and that's up on the YouTube. other thing. So YouTube is like a huge generator for this. So, you know, they spend money um, basically creating an ad that's intended for the one broadcast day at mm -hmm. the Super Bowl. And, you know, maybe some additional airings on TV afterward. Mm -hmm. But YouTube and other sites like that, um, they give them basically free, free eyeballs afterward. And now these advertisers are doing this big marketing push where it's like a teaser for the Super Bowl ad or a trailer for the Super Bowl ad. So it's a trailer for a commercial for a product. Yeah. Um, and then people can, you know, watch it again on YouTube because it's water cooler talk. You don't, you, you don't, have to, there's this like FOMO aspect. Yeah. So we should do the science of like advertising. Mm -hmm. Did you ever like take class or anything in that? Oh, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then just a couple more interesting things about it too um, for comparison. Um, the cost of the ad. So again, we said it was around five, five and a half million for a 30 second ad this year. In 1967, a 30 second commercial was $40,000. <laughs> so, Definitely has spiked. 
Well, I, yeah, I mean, it has. They, if they adjust that for inflation, they say it's around 260000 But still, that's, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's this huge amount of money. And then if you look at other sporting events, like Game 7 of the 2016 World Series, half a million dollars for a 30-second ad. Wow. So sports are big, but football is king in the advertising I world. I mean, advertising and in the ratings world. And in the ratings world, absolutely. Um, and then there's other things, too. Like I saw that um, by January 14th of this year, NBC had less than 10 spots left, fewer than 10 spots left to sell. Huh. So a lot of the spots even a lot of the spots for ads get sold before they even know what teams are even going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. I, did you see anything about like how long it uh, took like uh, these companies to make the ads? Like it, how- it really varies, but a lot of them like start immediately after the previous year, and they work with these huge ad companies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some that are known f- for like the funny commercials. Mm-hmm. Some are known for more dramatic or political commercials, and they'll work on them for a long time. And that's where the cost comes in that we were talking about, like that between one and ten million dollars just yeah. to create a spot for the production. Crazy. That's where all these costs come in. It's just like the concept phase, and then working out a contract with a celeb or an endorser, and blah 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 blah. So it's kind of crazy. Can you imagine working like a year on one little no. like, 10 second no. thing? No, I cannot. <laughs> but in some ways, yes. <laughs> so anyways, uh, I just thought it was interesting. It's all about eyeballs. The ads more or less work. And that's why the cost keeps going up. So well, yeah. I guess we'll keep enjoying those yeah. ads. So why don't you tell us about the uh, what you thought we were going to talk about here? You mean superb owls? Yeah, that. Steve is super excited about Superb Owls. If you couldn't hear it from his voice. Who, who, who cares about Superb Owls? <laughs> I care. And hopefully some listeners care about Superb Owls, Steve. All right. Tell us why we should care. Well, first of all, Superb Owls. It's Super Bowl, but with a space in between the B and the O. Ah. That's not why you should care. No. Um, so let's take it back a little bit. So back in 1969, the NFL trademarked the phrase Super Bowl. Okay. Um, they actually trademarked Super Bowl, Super Sunday, and like a bunch of other like phrases related to Super okay. Bowl. Yeah. Um, so a trademark is a word, name, service, symbol, device, or any combination used or intended to be used to identify and distinguish the goods, services of one seller or provider from those of others and to indicate the source of the goods, services. Right. So that's the little um, definition for right. you. Basically, it means I'm trademarking this, meaning I'm intending this to be used only for my business or my company, and I don't want anybody else to use this for their similar business and or company. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And it's also, uh, in the case of the NFL, they wanted it to deter counterfeit mer- merchandise. Mm. And Yeah, you know, how's that working out for them? I mean, they, they sued lots of people. I guess so. Yeah. Um, so... One of the big things that happened was in 2007, the NFL uh, issued like a cease and desist uh, warning letter to an Indianapolis church that was advertising a paid admission Super Bowl party on a screen that was larger than 55 inches. Wow. Remember that. Okay. The 55 inches. All right. Um, Yeah. So that became kind of a thing. People were like, oh, are you picking on church? Right. Like they're just trying to do their thing. Sure. Um, But I guess... uh, the 55 inches is a big deal because that's part of their uh so like bars restaurants and other establishments can show it legitimately but only if they don't charge an entrance fee 
they don't use the logos. The NFL logos are the um, different team logos. Mm-hmm. And it can't be shown on screens larger than 55 inches. So if we wanted to have a party with our friends here, but our, our TV is 65 inches, if we put a flyer or a thing on Facebook for our friends to come over and it said Super Bowl, we'd be violating their policy? I mean, I wouldn't put that we're watching it on a 65 inch. I would just say. Super but Bowl. technically, we'd be violating their policy. Technically, if they wanted to look at it. But they probably wouldn't do that to us because we're like such little. I don't know. Maybe that church was so little. I mean, it could have been, but. They were charging, and we were, okay. we wouldn't charge. All right. At least, I don't think we would. Would we? Don't nobody come to our house. Anyways. That's true. <laughs> so, for some places and companies to get around this, they reference the Super Bowl as the big game, mm-hmm. uh, or Championship Sunday, mm-hmm. or the Pro Football Championship. Mm. Um, that so, sounds just very sad. Yeah. That sounds like the version of Super Bowl that you get at like the dollar store. <laughs> It's very sad. Uh, so another thing, superb owls is uh, often mistyped in like Google or searches mm. because people are in a hurry. They're not typing it right. And superb owls is what people search for. I see. Um, when searching for super, the term Super Bowl. I see. Um, let's see. Uh, there was a f- interesting thing I saw this year mm-hmm. where there was a superb owl party okay. in Minnesota. And it was a... Uh, Hangout with the Minnesota Viking football players uh, this past Friday, hmm. and it was all for charity. So you bought tickets, oh, and you went cool. charity, but you got to hang out with them. I think play Madden uh, oh. and do stuff like that. Cool. So it's pretty cool. That they're like using that term for good. Nice. Um, and then one of the more well-known superb owl thing like references from Colbert Report, where uh, in 2014 Stephen Colbert used the term superb owl, uh, whatever the the Number of yeah. Super Bowl it was that sure. year. I think it was X L V I I I. What's okay. that? V I I I. That'd have been forty eight. Eight. Yeah. Forty eight. Yeah. He was using it to market market their big coverage of the game. Mm. So that was their loophole that they got around, and so that's where a lot of people started using Superb Owl. Got it. But when you do hashtag Superb Owl, it's still hashtag Super Bowl. I see. But you're doing Superb Owl. Yeah, I get it. You get it. So clever. <laughs> Okay. So remember that thing I was talking about earlier about the barn owls? Yes. Yeah. About how 17 swallows can do 13 loops or whatever. I said nothing about loops. I said Uh-oh. that barn owls have seven owlets, which can eat five mice or voles. You know what a vole is? A baby mouse rat thing? It was some type of rat thing. A yeah. rodent. Yeah. Okay. So they can eat that uh, uh, in a night for the first two weeks. Okay. And then three to five weeks, they can eat five to ten per night. Cool. And about 10 weeks, the mama and daddy owl slow down the food so they can hunt for themselves at 12 weeks. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> okay. Did you know that not all owls are nocturnal? I didn't know that, actually. Well, now you do. Okay. Yeah, the spot snowy owls, burrowing owls, and a few others hunt during the day. Because right. that's when their prey like uh, is out and about. Okay. Yeah. That's so cool. how about this? How about since you're not really respe- receptive to my owl information? Uh, yeah. Uh, how about I ask you some questions? Sure. Okay. I'm sure they'll be superb. <laughs> superb owls. Yeah. Okay. Do most owls that sounded, have that? Sounded like super bowels. Ew. Which is not as fun. I wish I had super bowels. Right. I'm not using that right. Mm, I don't think so. Okay. I don't want that. Um, <laughs> 
Do most owls have symmetrical or asymmetrical ears? Fuck if I know. I don't know. <laughs> asymmetrical. Yes. Okay. Most of them have asymmetrical, and that's because they're located in different um, locations of the head. Okay. Uh, because it helps them pinpoint location sounds of in multiple directions. Interesting. Ha ha. Huh. Interesting mm. owl facts. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Didn't help Hedwig though, did it? We'll get to him. Oh. Uh, <laughs> what shape are owl eyes? <sighs> Let's see. Almond. No. Uh, ellipse. No. Uh, okay, that's it. Owl arrival. eyes are tube-shaped and immobile. Tube? Yeah, they're tube-shaped. Tube. What the hell does that mean? They're tube-shaped. They're not eyeballs. So their eyes are like poster tubes? I like mean... Their eyes are binoculars? Yes. Interesting. For binocular vision that can focus on their prey and boost depth perception. Hmm. Ha. Right. Okay. See? Yeah. You're enjoying my yes. superb owl facts. Okay. Um, how many degrees do you think owls can rotate their neck? This is going to be something like weird. So 124. Final answer? 125. 270 degrees. Okay. That's and, disturbing. And the... Really weird thing about it is that they have a blood pooling backup artery system. The hell does that mean? So when they move their head, their neck, yeah, uh, it cuts off circulation to their brain and eyes and stuff. But they have this backup ar- artery system that keeps it going. That's weird. Yeah, and it pools, uh, yeah, it pools their blood to keep it going, so they don't uh, cut off circulation, die. That's weird. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Interesting though. Okay. Um. What else? Uh, what do you think owl groups are called? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> owl groups. Um, You're such a dick. Uh, let's say flocks of a feather. No, that's not what they're okay, called. How about um, uh, what does it rhyme with? I don't know if I can say it because it'll give it away. Oh. Think more British. Ooh, British. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, tea and crumpets. No. Okay. That was the worst answer. Okay. I don't know what the, what are they called. Parliament. Oh. Okay. And, and I read that it was originating from C.S. Lewis's description in the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, interesting. Did you read those? Uh, I read some of them, but I thought they were boring. Oh, I, I didn't read like them. them. I didn't see the book. Is that the see, one with the... You didn't see the book? I didn't see the movie or read the book. Oh. It's a line what's in the wardrobe. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. When they're like a, a closet that they went into. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the magicians. Yeah. But but magicians is better. Oh, the magicians is a clock, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Um, Let's see. Do owls hunt other owls? Yes. Yes. Uh, some do. I'm guessing if you're asking, they would have had to. Well, it could have been a trick question. Okay. Or not a trick question. Anyways, the great horned owls hunt barred owls. All right. They're the top predator. I don't know the difference. But... I don't either. Okay. But they do. Okay. Uh, how tall do you think owls get? Hmm. Well, the ones that are wooden that they put outside of <laughs> stores so the birds don't come there are like a foot and a half. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say 18 inches tall. Hmm. It's a pretty good guess. Okay. So owl sizes range from the tiniest at five to six inches. Okay. 
to 32 inches. All right. So, so that was a bad guess because was, 18 is nowhere near 32. No. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, that's the great gray owl. That's a big ass owl. 32, 32 inches. It's yep. almost three feet tall. Yep. That's terrifying. <laughs> well, luckily, they're not hunting you. Okay. Or are they? Probably. Uh, how far away do you think an owl can detect prey? Hmm, how hungry is it? It's very hungry. Um, I'm going to say farther than KFC is from our house. Okay, and that's about? A mile. They can detect uh, prey up to about a half a mile away. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, kind of close. Close. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else? It's an interesting one. Do you think that owls are monogamous? No. Hmm. Interesting. You're kind of right. Hmm. So usually owls are monogamous. You know why? Why? You know why I don't think they're monogamous? Why? Because then when they get a new phone, they go, who this? <laughs> wow. New phone. Who this? It's late. I, th- I think we should end the podcast now. <laughs> um. Yes, they are usually monogamous, but uh, boreal owls get a little promiscuous when the mice are plentiful, and both sexes have multiple partners, or can have multiple partners. Interesting. But usually, they just have a mate for life. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So once that food's out there, they ready to get it on. <laughs> New mouse, who it is? <laughs> New podcast, who it is? <laughs> Uh, how many mice can a barn owl eat in one year? This last question. Is this a horny year or the not horny year? No, we're not talking about the horny ones. Oh. Uh, a barn owl. How many can it eat in a year? Mm-hmm. 365. No. Oh, it's got to be more than that then. It is. One a more. thousand. Yes. Ooh. Wow. Good job. They can eat up to a thousand mice a year. Wow. And they can swallow them whole. That's disgusting. I could have lived my entire life without knowing that fact. But now you know. Great. And it's half the battle. Um, how about let's talk about these really superb owls in pop culture? Okay. I can think of two. Okay. Throw it out. What do you got? Well, Hedwig from Harry Potter. Okay. Um, and the other owls that were in Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, the, the stupid one. Oh, What's there was that name? one. What was I his forgot. Name? Yeah. You should know this. Yeah. Melinda would know. She would know. Uh, and then I'm thinking of the scary owl from Secret of Nim. Yes, the great owl. Um, let me think. Other owls. Uh, I can't think of them. I know there are some, but I can't mm-hmm. think. I was going to look up and just name like a couple from Disney. Yeah. But Disney had a ton oh, of Oh, yeah, them. the owl from Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's probably one in Snow White. Probably. She lives in a forest, so there's probably an owl. Yeah. Uh, Big Mama and the Fox and Hound. Oh, yeah. Owl from Winnie the Pooh. Oh, yeah. Archimedes in Sword and Stone. Oh, yeah. Professor Owl. Did you you know Professor Owl? Oh, from the sing-along songs. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess he was in a bunch of other animated shorts. Oh, okay. Um, and Deacon Owl from The Rescuers. Oh, right. There were a bunch of other ones, but okay. I left them out. Man, Disney likes owls because they're wise. Oh, yeah, the lollipop owl from Tootsie Roll there commercial. There you go, yeah. Tootsie Mr. Pop owl from the Tootsie Pop commercial. Yes. One, two, three. Yeah. Um, Mr. Rogers, he had an owl. Okay. 
X the L. Do you watch Mr. Rogers? Mm, yeah, but he was boring. Uh, he was a little boring. He but... always put me asleep. Maybe that was the point. <laughs> the point was to teach you life lessons. All right. I don't remember the owl on there. Mm. Who's a blue owl named uh, X? Uh, didn't you? Did you watch Twin Peaks? Right? Yeah. Wasn't there like something about owls in there? Sure. The owls of Twin Peaks. I don't know. It was a long time ago. Oh, well, I don't know. I didn't watch it, so I just read that there was the owls of Twin Peaks. Mm. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, the Bubo, the owl from Clash of the Titans, the little, the little like robotic one. No idea. You ever see Clash of the Titans? The old like stop motion one. Yeah, it was a stop motion like yeah. owl thing. I don't remember. Oh well, yes. Okay. Uh, Woodsy the owl. Okay, who's that? Don't don't give a hoot. Don't pollute. Oh right. Yeah. What was that from? It was the uh, USFS fire safety. Oh, fire forest safety. I don't know. One of those. Well, it wouldn't be fire if the message was don't pollute. I guess so it must be forestry service. Sure, and the Hooters owl. Oh yeah, okay. But those are some uh, owls. That's good. Yeah. So those th- were not all superb. <laughs> no, they weren't all superb. <laughs> some of my stuff was talking about superb. Those owls. are superb factoids. Yes, That's superb good. facts. Who do you think the best owl was out of all those that we talked about? Hedwig. Hedwig was awesome. Yeah. Oh, R.I.P. Yeah. But that's because everybody in those stories, except for Harry Potter, was pretty good. (laughs) Should do a Harry Potter episode. Oh, we totally should do a Harry Potter episode, except we do know Harry Potter. We do. We'd have to have Melinda guest star in that one, though. Yeah. All right, we'll set that up. Well, cool. That was uh, some of my interesting facts about superb owls and (laughs) kind of where the name came from. Well, thank you so much for sharing those with us. You're welcome. I feel very educated in a superb way. Yeah. I'm glad you do. Yeah. And thank you for sharing those factoids about <laughs> the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. And you're welcome. Football and ads yeah. and such. We learned things today. We did. Yeah. Did Even, you say we're wise like owls now? I don't think so. No. I why, think we, why are owls always considered wise? That's a good question. You didn't look that up? No. That would have been a superb thing to look up. Well, next time we All can right. have an episode about why owls are superbly <laughs> wise. <laughs> That All wasn't right. the name of the podcast, so I didn't look All it right. up. So I think what we learned this week is uh, that we need to prep for the show better and make sure we understand what the subject is. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, but I also learned uh, some interesting stuff on why the Super Bowl is such a big thing and why owls are so big and scary and hungry. Superb. And superb. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so before we wrap it up today, uh, I just wanted to give a quick update on our friend Jeremy, who was on our show last week. Yes. And his big fundraising efforts for um, LOS, uh, for uh, team and training, for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Mm-hmm. Cancer's a drag. Cancer's a drag, and for the uh, uh, AIDS life cycle. So Cancer's a drag was last night here in San Jose. That was his fundraiser that he hosts with uh, Woo Moo Monroe. Woo Woo. Uh, the famous San Jose drag queen. And this is a big fundraiser at Renegade's Bar um, where we're raising money for all the the events he's doing this year. And his goal was $4,000, and he raised $6,126 in one night. Yeah, it was super impressive. That's amazing. So that brings his total so far this year to $21,205. That is very impressive. 
I need him to fundraise for me. Seriously, that is incredible. So congratulations, Jeremy. And uh, if anybody wants to donate, there is still time. His website is jdtry.com, jdtri.com. So congratulations, Jeremy, and uh, keep up the good work. We'll do mm-hmm. another update uh, after his triathlon. Yeah. Triathlon. Triathlon, Steve. <laughs> well, I guess that's the show for this week. Yeah. Uh, this week, I want to say thanks to our friend Kate, because she kind of put the earworm in my ear for doing an episode about the Super Bowl. Superb Owls. Or Superb Owls. Music for the show is by Adi Goldstein and Dimitri Banoff, and the opening vocal is by Chad Gonselmo. Thanks, Chad. And thanks to everybody for listening, liking, subscribing, telling your friends, families, doctors, cousins, and... Therapists. Therapists about us. And we really appreciate the feedback. And if y'all have any show ideas or want to know about something, let us know. You can message us. You can tweet us. Uh, or you can give us a call somehow. I'm sure you have our numbers. Right? No, they don't? Well, I'll give you Steve's number. Oh, wait. I don't know his number. <laughs> I really don't. It's very sad. He gets mad at me. And he's laughing. I don't know why he's laughing. It's so weird. Anyways, uh, we'll see y'all next week. Okay. Bye. Bye.